Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. Today, Bryce Simon is in the building again and we're here to break down five NBA topics that we didn't get to on Wednesday. We're going to start with the Cleveland Cavaliers. They've been on this really fun run since the Darius Garland and Evan Mobley injuries. I want to talk about that. And I also want to talk about just their organizational direction moving forward. Then we're going to move to what what, what do we have next, Bryce? The Knicks, right? The Knicks next, we're going to talk about them in the post-Mitchell Robinson injury era, uh, in addition to the Jalen Brunson breakout that has occurred. Then we're going to roll to the Kobe White surge, the breakout that Bulls fans have been waiting for for five years now. Kobe White is here. He's been awesome over the course of the last month. We want to talk about that. The Los Angeles Clippers have been surging since the James Harden acquisition. They are 15-5 and in their last 20 games, and man, his Kawhi just completely dominated uh, every single time I've watched them. Finally, uh, the Kings and De'Aaron Fox will close things up with Really interesting team. They're sitting right in the fifth, sixth slot of the Western Conference right now, and they have been really fun to watch again, and there are some really fun signs out of Keegan Murray that we want to talk about. So, Bryce, what's going on, buddy? I'm good, man. I'm excited to talk NBA hoops again. I will say, Sam, I had a guest spot yesterday, I think, um, that's coming out tomorrow where I got to talk the top of the NBA draft with a kind of a Pistons focus. And uh, that was really interesting. So we have college hoops back. Finally, you know, they kind of take a a break. And so it was interesting as I was talking through that, as I'm trying to flesh out my big board and all of those things, I I, like put one guy at two and another guy at four. And then as I was actually talking about it, I was like, man, I feel like I like this guy better than that guy. So sometimes it's just fun to hatch those things out, like actually talking to somebody, talking through, instead of just reading your notes over and over. It kind of changes your perspective whenever you're bouncing ideas off of somebody. So that was fun, but I'm excited to talk NBA today. Yeah, it's really fun because like I've been doing that. I've been like asking people within basketball, like random questions, right? Like I tweeted one yesterday that people melted down about because of course they did. Uh, it was like, why is Donovan Klingon so much higher on draft boards than Zach Eady? And look, I have Donovan Klinger Klingon higher than Zach Eady on my board. I'm not sitting here and saying that Eady is quite the prospect that Klingon is. I just wanted to hear from people why they think that he yep. is. I think it's because Klingon is a little bit more mobile. He's a better defensive rim protector. And offensively, I think that his mobility in transition should allow for potentially better opportunities long-term. I will say this. I think Zach Eady is the best screener in college basketball. You watch him. He obliterates people on the perimeter. Like it is not even a, like he, he destroys guys 
with how good he is as a screener. I think he's a really good pick and roll big in addition to being uh, the most dominant post player in college basketball due to his height. He's a fascinating player that I think is not getting enough buzz while also acknowledging that like I have as many concerns as other people do. Right. So it's going to be really, really interesting to see where he settles in as a draft prospect. I think this cycle. I think what also I realized is, and I may just like do this on my own, depending on how long it is till our next one is when you actually do a mock draft, Sam, especially if you kind of somewhat factor in team fit, I think that lets you hash things out as well, because I might be a little wing heavy, like going over the top on, oh, NBA really values wings. And and maybe I end up not being, but it's, there's only so many 6'3 guards that are going to go in the first round. There's only so many bigs that are going to go in the first round. And so there's a little bit of, I need to go through this with actual team fits because at some point that stuff is going to matter as well. So I, I know we didn't come to talk NBA draft, but I, I had fun doing that the top of the draft is just crazy so that's going to be enjoyable for the next three four five six months however long and you know it it, it was fun to do so i just wanted to mention that real quick the other thing is i don't know why sam we ever think we can stick to an hour hour and 15 minutes we have a document that is literally 21 pages for this episode there's no way we're getting this done in an hour so just peek behind the curtain for everybody 21 page document legitimately of sam and i's notes for this episode i'm gonna say we get this done in an hour 17 okay is gonna be my thing i think an hour 17 is the goal let's start with the cleveland cavaliers though the cleveland cavaliers currently are playing the milwaukee bucks as we record this show on a friday night they're up 14 to 6 in the first quarter they look great and part of what i want to talk about here is they're currently sitting at 18 and 13. When Darius Garland went out following the Evan Mobley injury, they were sitting at 13 and 12. This was not really a situation that looks all of that positive, but they have won five of their last six without Darius Garland and Evan Mobley. Look, it's been a soft schedule up until tonight. They're playing at home against the Milwaukee Bucks. If they win that game, really good sign. But in those five of six that they've won recently, it's been the Hawks, the Rockets, the Jazz, the Pelicans, the Bulls, and the Mavericks. Beating the Mavericks, uh, if I remember correctly, on the road was a ridiculously impressive game. I I was super, super impressed with Terrence LeVert in that game. Particularly, I thought he played incredibly well. And the other thing worth noting here is that the schedule doesn't get that much harder here over the course of the next little while. If you were going to have catastrophic injuries this was the point of the season to where it would be okay to have them maybe uh they have milwaukee that they're playing right now but then their next games are toronto a back-to-back with washington san antonio brooklyn and chicago like it's not crazy that they start this little run here without garland and mobley nine and four ten and three something like that given that they've already started five and one over the course of this stretch. So let's, let's start with the positives first, because I think that I do have some general questions about where the overall direction of the Cavaliers is going, just given some of their contractual situations, particularly one contractual situation that we'll discuss. What have you liked about this little stretch of the post Evan Mobley, Darius Garland injuries? 
So I want to shout out my guy, Fear the Fro, a Cavs NBA podcast. If you're a Cavs fan, go listen to that. That's my guy, Bob Schmidt. He does a really good job covering the Cavaliers. He's here in the chat. I'm sure he'll leave us once we stop Cavs talk, but he's here at least for this portion. And he (laughs) made a point. He texts me after your tweet before we started recording, Sam, and he said, you better talk about Jarrett Allen and how well he has been playing. And he absolutely has. It sounds like he started off really well tonight. But you mentioned Karis LeVert. I think there's a few other guys like... Am I? I watched this game the other day. I thought Isaac Okoro looked like an NBA player. I thought he looked like a solid NBA player. Sam Merrill had his moment to shine in one of these games. Um, Who was the other player? I want you know Dean Wade has. Oh, Craig Porter Jr. That's the one that I should have mentioned off the top. Who has just been incredible and truly looks like at least a backup NBA point guard. So yes, Donovan Mitchell is insane. He's awesome. I'm sure we'll discuss him in length, Alan, but some of these other guys, like this is how you survive these stretches, Sam, is you get wins on the margins with these type of players. And right now they're getting great production from those guys. It's exactly right. I'm glad you brought up the depth guys. I think they're really important. I do want to talk about Jared Allen very quickly at the top. He's averaging 18 points, 12 and a half rebounds on 66% from the field. Over the course of those six games, he has been kind of everything for them uh, during the stretch because Donovan Mitchell has missed a couple of these games as well. Like yep. Donovan Mitchell did not play against the Dallas Mavericks and they still beat the Dallas Mavericks. And, and it was a big piece of it was Jared Allen going for 24 and 23 and six assists in that game. He was unreal. I thought he completely dominated the paint in a way that frankly, like I like Jared Allen a lot. I think he's a great player. I wouldn't always refer to him as dominant, I guess is the way that I would phrase it. Like I think he works typically really well in tandem with Evan Mobley. I think that his ability to play and drop coverage is really high level. Obviously he is an incredible rim runner as well. I thought that in Dal in that Dallas game, he just completely controlled and dictated everything that was happening within the paint. Uh, just a, a really, really impressive game uh, from Jared Allen. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad that uh, fear the fro here brought him up because Jared Allen has been uh, terrific in this little run. I don't want to be the hater here. I do want to just make a quick caveat. And this speaks a little bit more to the Mavs. Like they were playing Grant Williams as their five during portions of that game. So there, there was a little bit of the, they had gotten Derek and this is his credit, but they had gotten Derek Lively in foul trouble. They played Dwight Powell some, but then they also had to play Grant Williams at the five. That's a little bit more of like, man, that made me a little nervous watching the Mavericks more than anything. But to his credit, as you said, we've seen other people not dominate very advantageous matchups and he absolutely dominated. So I don't want to just completely take it away. I just did want to add that little bit of a caveat, but he's been incredible. Sam, they started Craig Porter Jr., Struess, who's been awesome, Okoro, Wade, and Allen. Dean Wade got two fouls right away because he took the Luka matchup, and that's what happens whenever you take the Luka matchup to start a game. They were down by like 20 at one point, should have got blown out, and they came back. Like It was a super impressive performance. I also want to give Imani Bates a little bit of a shout-out. He came in, played a few minutes, didn't necessarily make shots, but I thought he showed real growth just distributing the ball. He took good shots for the most part, but he had a few nice passes. Just a quick little caveat, and then we can move on. So I'm glad you brought up Imani. I'm glad he's you know at least getting to the point where he can get on the court in depth situations. But I, I do want to talk about the four guys that you kind of brought yeah. up at the start here. Uh, Craig Porter Jr. has been unbelievable. 
Uh, he, he has been a genuine backup level point guard in the NBA as a rookie, which is really, really difficult to say. Like he has been better. Look, he's five years older, if I remember correctly, than Scoot Henderson. But Scoot Henderson went number three in the draft. Craig Porter went undrafted and I think is on a two year two way right now, which is just completely bonkers. Uh, he's just a complete adult out there. He's confident. He makes the right reads consistently. He's averaging 6.3 assists versus only 1.2 turnovers during wow. this little run. Uh, he plays solid, consistent defense. He contests shots. He gets around screens. I think he just does a really, really good job running the show out there. Dean Wade is a guy that I have been consistent on this show saying that I think he is a legit rotation player. Last year, he had the shoulder injury that tanked the shooting a little bit, but you know, he started 17 games over the course of the season now, but over those last six, he's averaging 10 points on 50, 48, 100 shooting. Uh, he has just been a solid, consistent three and D, like kind of combo y four man, occasionally slides up the line up to the three. A really, really valuable piece for the Cleveland Cavaliers to be able to bring in as like their 10th man. I think he's a little bit better than that. I think he can be a team's like seventh or eighth man, but. You know, and the Cavs are starting to use him that way, and I'm glad that they are, and I'm glad he's healthy again. Health has always been kind of the factor for Dean Wade. Uh, the third guy I want to bring up is Sam Merrill, as you said. Uh, I've been a big Sam Merrill guy. I've had Sam Merrill on this podcast pre-draft before back in 2020. Uh, Sam Merrill, I had a top 40 grade on him in 2020 pre-draft. Uh, I'm glad he's finally getting his shot. I thought that, frankly, as I mentioned in the summer, he was the best player at Summer League this past year outside of Jabari Smith and Tari Eason. Uh, over the course of these last six games, he's played four of them. He's averaging 13.8 points on 48-48-75 from the field uh, in like 18 minutes a night. He had two monster games. Like he played incredibly well. I think he had like 27 against Houston and 19 against Utah. I might have flipped those. Uh, but he was really good in both of those games. Uh, I think he's a real guy that can be like a back end of the rotation player. And finally, Again, like you mentioned with Isaac Okoro, he's really starting to figure it out. Yeah. I think Okoro, who's generally been like pretty solid this year and has been like an okay fifth, fourth guy to have out there over these last six, again, 14 points, 53, 42, 68 shooting. He's willing to let it fire from three, shooting four of those per game, four rebounds, four assists per game during that time. Provides energy, athleticism, defensive capability. He takes on tough assignments consistently. He's 22 years old still. He entered the NBA draft incredibly young in 2020. He is less than a month older than Jaime Jaquez. And he's going to be a restricted free agent this summer. If he's able to keep this run of play going, this is going to be a guy that like teams really try and get out of Cleveland, I think, because he is so young. He's clearly useful on defense. And the offense is starting to come together. There have been consistent, like gradual steps that he's made offensively to where you go, oh, this is clearly something here that he can build upon. I really, really like what I've seen from Isaac Okoro uh, over the course of this season, but particularly over the course of this last like little two week stretch here. 
I mean, I think he's a guy that a lot of people believed in the defense, but you know, for Cleveland, it was, you needed a guy that could space the floor around this other group that you had. And he wasn't really doing it, but yeah, he's at 38% on over two and a half, 71% are corner threes. And he's right under 40% on those. Obviously you'd want that to be a little better, but it's about the improvement. He's continued to get better. I also want to just give a little shout out to Tristan Thompson. Like this dude at 32 year old, he comes in, he's averaging like one and a half offensive rebounds and how many ever minutes he's getting i'm not saying he's like the linchpin to anything i'm not saying he's been any better than like craig porter jr anything like that but coming in especially with mobley out right now you need a little bit of depth at the big position and i think he comes in and he plays really really stinking hard he grabs some offensive rebounds i just wanted to give again kind of like the amani thing i wanted to give him a quick shout out as we go through all of these guys that it just this is really good roster like shout out the front office there in terms of compiling all of these guys where you can withstand this. Because really, Sam, I look at the top three in the East and I'm looking for the fourth team. Because, listen, we love Orlando. Both of us love Orlando. They may start to you know plateau just a little bit. And then I look at Cleveland. It should be Cleveland. And then I was like, oh, no, the injuries. But as you outlined, they've been playing well and they have these other guys playing well. They're really still right in there in the run for that fourth seed. I think that they are as long as they take care of business during this little run. Sure. Some of the general fundamental numbers here are not like incredible. Right. Uh, I think that they have like barely, I think they're like at plus four over the course of these last six games per a hundred possessions and a team that goes five and one during that stretch should be like more in the like plus eight or nine, 10 range. Typically if you're winning that many games uh, over that much of a sample. Right. So that part is slightly concerning. Let's say I will also say generally over the course of the full season without Mobley on the court, the team gives up over 118 points per hundred possessions Uh, minutes without Mobley and Garland on the court. The Cavs, still have a negative 0.2 rating, even though they've won this stretch of games here. The bigger sample says that this is going to be a problem at some point once they start playing good teams. The question is just, can they manage the this stretch of games here where they can rack some wins and just have Donovan Mitchell, Jared Allen, and these depth guys just go nuts here for the next three weeks, basically, get it closer to where Garland and Mobley are going to be back and then feel a little bit more confident that, Hey, we might be able to kind of withstand this, get hot late in the season and then make a run because ultimately what this is all leading to is you have to convince Donovan Mitchell to sign an extension this summer. Uh, I don't think either of us think that this team is a championship level team this year, which means that you're continuing to build. You're continuing to grow. That's your whole thing. Where that growth has to continue, though, is with Donovan Mitchell, and you need to be able to sign Donovan Mitchell to that extension so you can keep going down this road. Yeah, I mean, he's really, really good. Yeah, you brought up the numbers real quick. Just, you know, looking at basketball reference, some of the miscellaneous stuff, you know, just the offensive rating, defensive rating, it, you know, none of it's like really top 10 and that kind of surprised me, you know, like usually there's something you can pinpoint and nothing, none of that stuff really stood out. Now, 
Donovan Mitchell's so good, man. He's crazy talented. The start stop, the wiggle, he just has some stuff to his game. He's just one of those guys that can stop on a dime, rise up into his shot. Like it's just some nights you watch him play and you just flat out can't guard him. No matter who they put on him, they can't yep. guard him. This dude is fifth in the NBA and made threes since 2017, 2018. So he's up there with Curry, Harden, Hield, Lillard, those guys. I think at the time when I put this in my notes, so this, this might've been a couple weeks ago, but he was second in the NBA in transition points only behind SGA. Like this Donovan Mitchell is so good. I, I think I only rattled this off because sometimes I forget Sam, how good Donovan yeah. Mitchell is. I think I underappreciate him at times. And so I wanted to take 30 seconds here just to appreciate how good this dude is. Yeah. And I think that where this has to go moving forward and just, I've seen a lot of people bring up, should they trade Donovan Mitchell now? Should they blow this thing up? My bigger thing is like we talked about uh, maybe two weeks ago now. I think there's like a real case to blow up the Mobley-Allen combination. They tend not to elevate one another. I don't think it's an accident that Jared Allen's best run this season has been without Evan Mobley on the court. It's not to say either of them are bad players. I just don't know that they lift up each other's games in the way that you would hope. I also believe, though, that Donovan Mitchell resigning is the key to everything. And I don't think that you can really make a decision, especially if you're good here during this stretch, which they've been pretty solid now. You can't make a decision on that until the offseason at this point, unless they like really start to tank these games and like drop them, right? Like if they lose to Milwaukee tonight and then drop one of these games to Washington, drop a game to San Antonio and drop a game to Brooklyn or something. And their net rating drops way too low. Like where the indicators are, okay, this is a significant problem. I think then it's worth having the conversation about Mitchell. I don't think it's worth having the conversation about trading Mitchell yet. I think if they can keep racking wins here, like we've seen them do without Garland and Mobley, then I think you let this continue and play forward here throughout the course of the season. And then you have to make decisions based on what Mitchell tells you in the off season. Do we ever get to a point where the Mitchell Garland thing, because the conversation around trading Donovan Mitchell is solely the extension, right? Is he going to sign long-term? Do we ever get to a point where we talk about trading one of those two guys because those two don't fit as well together as what you would want? Yes, I think that's actually a real factor here as well. And is it Garland in that situation? Like if if I told you right now, Donovan Mitchell is willing to resign. Is it then Garland? It's Garland, It would be Garland at that point, yeah. But I think that you let that play out for another year. There's no reason... Yeah, if Mitchell is re-signing, he's signing a long-term extension, you still have Garland on a long-term extension. You have time to figure it out at that point. I I don't think you talk about that for now. I think you – I really think the interesting piece of it is the Mobley-Allen thing because that's that's the thing that worries me. And, like, I brought up last time on the show that, like, I don't know, man. Like, I I think that there is – interesting conversation to have about like okay if you really think jared allen can be your center of the future if you really like the way that he blends with donovan mitchell and darius garland and if you think that evan mobley is not going to take the leaps offensively that we all hope he does 
and they have better information about that than we do. Trading him before giving him a max is an interesting idea, given what you would receive in return. I'm not advocating for this. I'm just saying that I think that you have the conversation internally uh, just as a hypothetical and say, hey, do we love the way this is going? Do we love the way this fits together? Do we love all of this? And again, you let this play out. You find out again what they look like in the playoffs, assuming they make the playoffs here. If they get to February and it looks like they're not even going to make the playoffs or they're in like the play-in rung of things, okay, then we can have a conversation about is it Mitchell that we move? How do we go about building around uh, the three guys that we have locked down long-term? For now, I, I don't think that we need to have the Mitchell conversation really until you know February, basically. like It feels like one of those things that like would come together relatively quickly if the calves kind of fall off the cliff, what's the order of, yet? What's the order of trade return of the three non Mitchell Garland? Mobley, well, Mo- Mobley would get an by far. If, yes. Yes. Mobley would get in a tier by himself. Case. Okay. Then yes. Garland versus Allen. I, I think Mobley would get the most out of any of these guys in the trade. Even than Donovan like, Mitchell, even than Mitchell. Yeah. Okay. I um, I, I do. You still have one cheap year on him and he's 23. And by the way, like I think Evan Mobley still has way more offensive upside than what we've seen. I'm saying that they have more information than we do on Evan Mobley is work habits, what they've done with the shot, how they've tried to go about fixing it. If you think it's not going to get better, I would have concerns about maxing him. He is still young enough to wear me personally. I think that I feel okay about maxing him. But if you feel internally that there are concerns, then it's a it's a conversation worth having, at least, I think, before you go nuts paying him. Man, they're going to be really expensive two years from now if you That's do. why. I mean, with Donovan like, Mitchell, Garland's on the big deal. You would still have Allen at just 20, but then Mobley's is going to be crazy. We've, you know, we've talked about Okoro, and you know, not that his is going to be crazy by any means. It's just, those three, though are going to take up a lot of cap space. And and again, I'm not advocating. I want to be clear. I'm not advocating for an Evan Mobley deal anytime soon. I I think that like if Mitchell resigns and you decide like Jared Allen and Mobley does not fit, you have to move one of them. And Jared Allen is really good. I think there's like a conversation about how do we, how do we go about best accentuating what we have around Donovan Mitchell if he's the guy we're building around. So I guess that's kind of what I'm the better question would have been is like, who's the best guy to trade in terms of yes, you're losing something, but they're going to give you the most in return. So Mobley gives you the most in return, but do you really want to lose that? You know, with Mm -hmm. Donovan Mitchell, he's the best player on the team, but would obviously bring a lot as well. I think Darius Garland, I'm not saying we're doing this on purpose, but I think he's being a little bit undervalued in terms of how good he is as well. Like Darius Garland is really good. I think we should give him a little bit of his flowers, but if you don't think you're getting a hundred percent of him playing next to Donovan Mitchell, is it then worth to trade him because of what you could, you know, you could, I could see another team going, this is our dude, you know, Darius Garland for us. So be willing to give up a substantial amount, not Evan Mobley. I agree with you hundred percent there. Just there's so much intertwined in this where can they work together? Can they not work together? And then what's the greatest, you know, return on investment, I guess, in terms of what you're losing, but what you could get back. 
That's dead right. It's absolutely right. Trying to figure all of this out. And the Cavs are in a fascinating spot now. The good news is that their depth guys have really helped stem the tide and have helped keep them afloat. And as long as that happens, uh, it gives them time to make these decisions. If it comes to a point where those guys are no longer keeping them afloat and they get to where they have like a losing record entering, you know, late January, early February, then the Mitchell conversation becomes viable. But until then, I think that uh, I think you roll with what you got because they've been really fun and they've been really good. Hey, real quick. I heard something about Jarrett Allen to the thunder today on a podcast I was listening to. I don't necessarily think that makes sense because I like Chet at the five, but Chet's so skilled. You obviously could play him at the four is no, I, I think that the actual question yeah, yeah. was Allen or Lowry makes more sense for the Thunder, and I think the definite answer is Lowry. Do you think no, Allen would make? Question. Yeah, do you think Allen would make any sense at all? Like my immediate reaction was no. Like Chet is such an advantage at the five and holds up so well at the five, it doesn't even. There's no need to do that. Would you agree? Not even. Not even a question in my mind. Okay. Not Good. even a yeah no not not even a question in my mind. I, I would uh, I would want look. I think that like if they could get a big that could shoot. And then you can do some like weird inversion stuff with like Chet and the big who can shoot like that could be interesting. But their their whole thing is that like they can consistently space the floor, play five out, play with five guys who can handle the ball, do all of that like that. That's what makes Oklahoma City interesting. to me. So much fun to watch. Definitely. OK, let's take a quick break. Then we're going to jump in and we're going to talk about the New York Knicks in the post Mitchell Robinson injury uh, season. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com 
slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord, and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, we're back and we're here. We're going to dive in to the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks are in a fascinating, fascinating, fascinating position to me because I don't know what they should do. I, I tr- This is one where I truly have no, like I, I'm going to say this up front while we talk about this. I truly have no idea what this team should do. I, I have an inkling on where I'm at with them, but I don't don't think they have like a great decision for this year necessarily. Now Uh, they're currently sitting at 17 and 13. They're currently down 11 to Orlando as we talk about this. So potentially going to 17 and 14. They have been, they've held the tide since Mitch has been out. Mitchell Robinson is out for the season with an ankle injury at this point. Uh, Last game of the year was on December 8th. Since that date, the Knicks have given up 122.9 points per 100 possessions. That's 27th in the league. They've gone from being one of the best rebounding teams in all of the NBA with Mitchell Robinson and Julius Randle completely controlling the paint to being like middle of the pack. They're 14th in defensive rebounding rate and 12 in off, 12th in offensive rebounding rate since losing Mitchell Robinson. The big thing here is that People way undervalue everything that Mitch brings to them. He brings them extra possessions. He's a really good pick and roll defender. He's a great rebounder. Like he, he's just all over the place for them. He's so athletic. He's tough. He's physical on the interior. He, he's just kind of an ass kicker in there. Like he's strong as hell for somebody that like doesn't, he looks lanky, but like he's not that lanky. Like he really is physically powerful. And, and Mitch Rob is like a great example of why on offs, like, don't tell the full story in terms of defensive impact. If you look at the Knicks defensive rating without Mitchell Robinson on the court this season, it's 116.8. If you look at him on the court, it's only 115.5. But the reason for that is because Isaiah Hartenstein is maybe the best backup big in the entire NBA. Uh, The fact that they can bring in Hartenstein and like not lose a crazy amount of rim protection and drop coverage wherewithal, I think is like so, so big for them being able to be impactful and effective on the court over 48 minutes of a game. If you can get 48 minutes of Mitch Robb and Hartenstein, it's huge. You take Mitch away from that. The whole thing crumbles. <laughs> like you lose 30 minutes of a dude who's just like a total ass kicker in the paint. Originally, they were starting like Jericho Sims after that because I think they wanted to like kind of keep the bench unit together. They played Hartenstein like 29 minutes and Jericho Sims like 18 to 20 minutes per game. But the lineups with Sims have generally struggled. Uh, 
in total, they're only a point. They're only negative point six uh, per 100 possessions without Robinson since that injury, though. Uh, and it's because of Brunson just going nuts. I, I want to start with the defensive side of the court. Are you as worried about the Knicks defensively as I am without Mitchell Robinson? Yeah, I think he was really good on that end of the floor. You know, just looking at the numbers, just the box score numbers, you know, 1.3 blocks maybe doesn't blow you away. He also averaged 1.5 steals, Sam. So he's at almost three stocks a game. You know, the rebounding offensively is where he's elite, but he's still bringing down rebounds on the defensive end. You know, even if Hartenstein is doing the same thing, but you're he can't play all of those minutes, right? Like you just outlined it all. Like Hartenstein, I think I love him because he's one of the best backup bigs in the league, not because he's one of the best starting bigs in the league. Mitchell Robinson was having an insane year, and you lose that anchor, and it just it goes to everybody else. It trickles down to everybody else, and everybody else has to pick up the slack in some way. So, mm-hmm. yes, I, I am nervous about that, and. It's it's unfortunate because I was really excited about this Knicks team and I'm with you in terms of is there a short-term answer to stay as competitive as what you want to be? I don't know that you want to go make some crazy move for long-term because he will be like the, the roster is just interesting as I look through it in terms of yeah. who's who's still around next year, Sam. But then you have the Emmanuel Quickly thing as well and the 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 elephant in the room or the not so kept secret of them compiling things to make a huge move whenever that huge move becomes available. Yeah. And I want to talk about that in a minute here, because just figuring out where they decide to go is really, really interesting. Uh, I'm completely with you on that, that like you can see the kind of tide turning in some of the reporting um, about the Knicks. The reason they've been able to stay afloat without Mitchell Robinson is Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson is averaging 29 points on 51, 49, 81 shooting with seven assists per game since Mitchell Robinson went out. He had that enormous like 50 point game. He has been unconscious. It feels like every time I watch him, his footwork, his patience, his poise. Like I tweeted about this um, watching the Christmas Day game. Andre Jackson is a really good defender. Like he is somebody that is like active, aggressive, extremely athletic, never gets tired. Great feel for the game, but he's really, really jumpy and he is over aggressive and just watching Jalen Brunson exploit that and understand how to take advantage of these like super athletic jumpy guys with just polish and poise and footwork and intelligence, it, it's really beautiful to watch. He, he is one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA, like uh, undeniably. The thing with him as well, as I was looking at his career numbers, Sam, I love guys that just continue to get better and continue to get better yeah. and continue to get better. And that's what he's done. His points, his field goal attempts, but field goal percentage stays the same three point or or relatively the same three point attempts have gone up. Three point percentage has gone up along with it. Free throw attempts. And I think the number that sticks out to me is looking at him in Dallas, as you would imagine, like 80% of his three point attempts were assisted. That's down to below 60 with the Knicks. So this is a kid, a guy, I don't mean to call him a kid. This is a grown man who went from the role he had in Dallas where he was really good, went to New York took on the number one option role where he's not getting 
open looks just created by Luca and all these things. Not only has he been good and taken that role on, he's still been efficient with it. It's incredible. And I know like the whole size height thing came up. Like I understood the the comment and all of that. I want to say this. I've said this multiple times now in a row. I believe you have to have the best player in a series. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. Jalen Brunson is good enough to be the best player in a series. I don't know if he's good enough to do it for four series, Sam, but I think Jalen Brunson could could take over and hijack a single series in the playoffs. And I'm not saying against just some team that's, you know, luckily limped into the playoffs. I'm saying against just about anybody, he could hijack. He's good enough to do it. I'm not saying he will, but he is good enough to do it. Well, I mean, he's done it in two straight years on some level, right? Like the Knicks beat the Cavs yep. in that series last year. He averaged in the playoffs last season for the Knicks 27.8 points on 47, 33, 91, right? And then in the Dallas, that, that like playoff run by Dallas with Luca, where they made the conference finals, like he was really, really good. He was awesome in those games. I wouldn't say he was the best player on the court or anything, but he was really, really good. He is clearly going to be like a dude that you can trust in the playoffs. Look, I, I agree with Becky Hammond. I don't think he can best yeah. be the best player on a title team. Agreed. But, I, I, you know, who who cares? He's great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's he's an awesome dude. Like, I, I don't know why, like, that's a... I, I understood why Becky said it. Like, I think Becky yeah. was fine. I think that, like, the people have made a big deal out of it. Like, I, it's just weird to me. Like, we can just appreciate Jalen Brunson for what he is, and he's yes. unbelievable. Yes. And he's, like, a borderline all-NBA player this year. But the difference between borderline all-NBA and Nikola Jokic, Giannis, etc., is just drastic. Like, it, it's such a big difference. So, um, regardless, now let's talk about kind of where they go go from here because I don't have an answer. (laughs) That's what like worries me. Uh, I've seen the reporting about DeJounte Murray and apparently like Leon Rose and some of the people in the Knicks front office, according to Stefan Bondi uh, at one of the New York papers. I think he just switched papers uh, saying that they think DeJounte is a really good fit with Jalen Brunson. And they think that, that could be like an interesting move for the organization. If the Hawks decide to break up the Trey young DeJounte Murray deal, I think that's a terrible idea. Like I'm just going to flat out say that. I I think that is a horrific, horrific idea because DeJounte playing with Trey young. The issue is that like they play like my turn, your turn. And the Hawks have now realized under Quinn Snyder that Trey Young is the guy that you just should have the ball in his hands yeah. all the time because, of course, you should. Like, you just went on a run, I think, of the most consecutive 30-point, 10-assist games in NBA history. He he has been unbelievable this season. DeJounte, for his part, like, hasn't been bad. Like, I don't want to sit here and say he's been terrible. Uh, he's averaging 20 points, four and a half rebounds, 5.3 assists. But I don't think DeJounte's game works to elevate guys that are incredible on the ball. And I think what you would do is be in a similar situation to what the Hawks are right now with Trey young with Jalen Brunson in New York. Like Jalen has been so good on the ball and I trust him to make high level decisions. I think DeJounte like is a guy that you want to put the ball in his hands and let him do things a little bit more often. There's a case certainly, I guess that like you could put the ball in his hands in bench units, but you already have a manual quickly who is awesome. 
Really and good. like another guy that we should probably not finish this conversation without talking about Emmanuel yeah. quickly has been great again yeah. this season. Uh, now, like if your idea is that DeJounte is signed to a deal that is like pretty reasonable over the course of the next four years beyond this one. And we think that Emmanuel quickly is going to get paid more maybe than DeJounte Murray does. I'll hear out that reasoning at least. I don't think I agree with it, but I'll like listen to it and try and understand it. I'd be surprised if he got 30 million a year personally, but I I think Emmanuel is like worth that money given that that's like Tyler hero, Jordan pool, you know, et cetera, et cetera money. Uh, The point is though, like I would not move Emmanuel quickly and I would just keep him and pay him. And on top of it, I, if you're keeping Emmanuel quickly and you already have Jalen Brunson, why would you bring in another guy that like is an on ball, like dominant player at his best in order to do that? Well, I think what everybody, and this is probably the Hawks idea, right? Was you bring in DeJounte defensively to pair next to a Trey Young and you bring in DeJounte to, you know, pair next to Jalen Brunson and take the workload off there. And then it's, you know, the issues on the other end, you know, we've talked about this and just how do you get the most out of, both players out of everybody on your roster and you're not going to get a hundred percent of everybody right like there's going to be some overlap within your roster you're not going to get the best version but you want to get as close to that as possible and so you have to really ask yourself if you bring DeJounte Murray into the fold if Jalen Brunson's at a hundred percent now are you going to bring him down to 80% by putting the ball into DeJounte's hand? Or are you only going to get 80% of DeJounte because you're keeping it in Jalen's? If you put him in the second unit, how much, what percentage of IQ are you going to get from him at that point? And so that makes sense. I think the idea of the name, whenever you first say it, I'm like, okay. And then you talk about the money, especially if it is, you move on from quickly. But it's like, it, it just, it seems like there would be a likelihood that it would be clunky in the same way that we see. I think one thing we've learned, or I feel like, Dudes that come in and play on the ball, Sam, it's not that easy for them to go play off the ball. I think it's real easy to say, well, just let Jalen do some off ball stuff and, and spot up and, and those type of things. And it's like, it's not always easy to ask those guys to do that. And it's not always easy to make that adjustment. There's just, when you play the game with the ball in your hand, Sam, there's yeah. something about it. There's just, you get into a flow and a rhythm and there's just, there's well, guys well, that grew up doing it and guys that didn't. So here, here's the case, though. Like, Jalen did it again, did it he with did. Luka, right? Yes. Like, he did it. Here's the thing, though. Jalen Brunson's better than DeJounte Murray as an offensive player. Yeah. He just is. So you don't want to take the ball out of Jalen Brunson's hands for the idea of just going to get DeJounte Murray, I don't think. Th- th- this is, like, a kind of a side conversation, but it feeds into what I think is the important conversation about the Knicks of – I don't know who they go out and get. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I actually don't know who the name is that makes sense for them, which means I kind of think that they're stuck. And like, Knicks fans are going to be like disappointed by that because obviously they want, you know, to win games and they want to show progress on last season's Eastern Conference semifinals berth and, you know, continue to take those next steps forward. It'll feel like a bit of like a stasis, I feel like, if, they just win 43 games again, 45 games again, and you know, go out in the first or second round of the playoffs. But the reality is that the way that Leon Rose and those guys in this front office have constructed this thing is they're waiting for a star to come available. And once that star comes available, they'll be able to present a package. 
they're kind of relying on that stasis in some way, continuing to show competency, continuing to show real positive play, even with Mitchell Robinson out, even with some of these, you know, guys continuing to grow and Julius Randall continuing to work his way into the season as he typically does. Finding that, finding that next guy is always the hardest part and they need the number one guy. I don't think they need a DeJounte Murray number two. I don't think they need a number three. They need a one. And to me, that guy isn't on the market right now. Uh, unless Donovan Mitchell maybe comes available, unless somebody else comes available. No, I think that's right. I think you have to wait it out and continue to be patient to find the right guy, and then you have the assets and all of that stuff to go get it. I think the only thing I'd be interested in is, can you make a move on the margins without hurting that long-term flexibility, without hurting those long-term assets to go get a center, to at least back up Hartenstein or be the 24-minute-a-night starter. But you don't want to give up the assets that then you know put you back from being able to give the best offer whenever that star comes available. So, Because some of these first-round picks, I was looking at this today also, Sam, the Dallas one will most likely convey this season. Yeah. But the Detroit and Washington ones – I don't know how teams will value those because they're still pretty decent. Like, I don't think that Washington one, it may never convey. And the Detroit one probably isn't going to for a couple of years still. So it's not like those are unprotected. Extre- like, I'd be interested to know how NBA teams valued those first round picks. Now, obviously, the Knicks have all of their own as well. But yeah, I don't, unless that name comes available, like you said, and you can just go ahead and swing, it would kind of stink to swing at the deadline knowing you didn't have Robinson for the rest of the year, but you get that person in acclimated, build over the offseason, then you're ready to go to the start of next year. Yeah, a cu- couple other notes here as well, just on the Knicks. Like they have picks, you know, they have two top 20-ish, you know, top 23 picks somewhere in the post-lottery uh, 22 range, right? Right now, uh, their own in Dallas's. Yep. This is a team that I think could draft players and like roster them. If you look at the back end of this roster right now, like it's like it's a wasteland in a lot of ways, right? Uh, they're going to lose the Yvonne Fournier contract in all likelihood at the end of this season, maybe in the middle of the season. Who knows? I think that like you can make a reasonable case for them doing something like Yvonne Fournier and one of those picks for a player. I, I don't know who the player is like i'm just going to be upfront with that like i I don't know what they they did that last year with josh hart obviously right like they went out and got josh hart good player helps them certainly uh you you could do something like that again i think it'd be completely reasonable to be able to go and do something like that again again i'm just like not sure what the uh, i'm not sure who the guy is i guess this year also i want to say Mitchell Robinson is on an incredible contract. That's a descending contract. So I got distracted here looking at their cap sheet and just, you know, like they have, you know, Julius Randle has one more year than a player option. Brunson is one more year in a player option. So it just, it's really interesting. You know, we talked about quickly this off season, then you have a couple other guys coming up after that. There's just some, they've been patient and I respect it. It seems like it's going to come to a head, not at the deadline, definitely not at the deadline, this off season or by the next deadline, it just seems like this is going to yeah. come to a head. Like I, again, I appreciate the patience, 
But at a certain point, you just have to go make your move. And I think that's probably coming up in the next 12 months or so. I will say, I just thought about this. Like they, they could be the Caruso team. Okay. Like that would actually make a lot of sense to pair Caruso with Jalen Brunson. Yeah. And God, can you imagine like a coach that would love Alex Caruso more than (laughs) Tom Thibodeau? Like my God. Uh, And they have all these like random picks that are there. Right. So it's interesting. That's an interesting one that. Yeah. I just, the nice thing, the nice thing for them is they still have all of their own picks as well. So if you want to do the whole three first and three pick swaps and you know, like, I don't know. The days of those may be gone, but yeah, that they have they have a plethora where they could go get Caruso, and I, I believe he's on a really really good contract as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, in terms of like bigs that are available, like Kelly Olynyk, I guess, but I don't know. Like, does Olynyk strike you as a like Thibodeau guy that w- would make sense? Like, not really to me, to be honest. There just aren't a lot of guys that really truly stand out on the market right now for the Knicks to like fill their hole that they need. Uh, Andre Drummond maybe hits the market, like something like that. Uh, Scal's roar brings up Dan Gafford. If Dan Gafford comes available, absolutely. But I just don't like, uh, I I don't know if you want to do that kind of like, I I don't know if Washington's going to want to do that. He's been really good this year when I've watched them. So well, the interesting uh, yeah. thing is you don't need a long-term guy either. Like that's what's, you know, because Robinson's back and you have Hartenstein and, you know, so you, you, you have those guys still, so you don't want to go crazy. Oh, I guess Hartenstein's unrestricted. Yeah. So yeah, he'll okay. be unrestricted. Again. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess there's an argument there to go get a guy that can, you know, if you don't want to bring Hartenstein back, that could just slide into the backup role next year with Robinson. Yeah. And Gafford's a guy that generally like, throughout the course of his career has not played crazy minute loads. Like even right now he's playing like 25 minutes a night. It's, it's not in a, that's actually like one of the better names I've heard, but I'd be, I feel like he's one of the names Washington would be least likely to move. I would think. Right. Yeah. And he's on a good contract. He, you know, the start of one 12, 13, 14 million over the next couple of years. So, um, you know, that's, yeah, that's a very interesting name. Yeah. And final thing here, you know, YouTube user brings up, will Mitchell Robinson ever play a full season? Honestly, like, I don't know the answer to that. Like, I think it's a reasonable question to ask. He played 72, 72 games in 2021-22. It's the closest he's gotten. Uh, I, I, I'm He plays so physically and he's so long and like, he's so tough and like strong, like he, he takes a beating in there because of the way he plays. Like, I, I think that the Knicks are a team that probably will always have to invest in having a really good backup center with Mitchell Robinson. And that's not a slight at Mitchell. Like I, I say all of those things as a compliment to him in terms of how physical and how aggressive he plays, but it, it, it's a real concern. I think whether or not Mitch will ever play a full season. All right. Okay, let's move on. Uh, these last three, I kind of wanted to talk about the Knicks and Cavs like a little bit more substantially. Uh, these last three are, you know, going to be ten to fifteen minutes each. I would say. Kobe We're White not- and the Bulls. Not promise. I promise. No, it, I, I don't. I don't care. I'm just saying you're going to be wrong. <laughs> 
I don't care. It, I, it doesn't bother me one way or that. I have a blast. No, we can talk for 15 minutes or three hours. I have a blast either way. I'm just saying you were wrong. The Kobe White breakout is upon us, Bryce. Uh, over the last 19 games, Kobe White has averaged 22.1 points on 47% from the field, 43.8% from three, 83.9% shooting. A lot of pull-up threes in that sample. 5.4 assists versus only two turnovers per game. I've loved the Kobe White breakout. I'll just kind of give you the floor. What has been your opinion of Kobe White over the course of these last, I don't know, like month and a half, let's say? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the offense in the game I watched was essentially running through him. Like, you could just see the freedom he was allowed to play with. And again, I don't want to take away from him and his talent, but sometimes when you give a talented player that kind of freedom, they take advantage of it and they go and they hoop. I watched a few games early in the season of the bowl, Sam, I pretty much didn't write him down. Like I, you know, I make notes, you know, every, every game I watch in full, I have a page and a half of notes, you know, over both teams and Kobe white essentially didn't make my notes. I'm talking about, you know, Pat Williams is struggling and Levine this and Vooch this. And then we come in and I, I did the last 14 games and you know, it's, it's, I don't mean it to be a Zach Levine thing, but Zach Levine goes out of the lineup. 23 points a game, all the stuff you just said, six rebounds and six assists to just two turnovers. Like, are you kidding me? That means he's making good decisions too. He's scoring the ball. Yes, he's been shooting ridiculous from three, but he was able to distribute it, take care of the ball. The defense is, you know, a little bit, whatever, but man, I, I just, you know, you know what of- the good news is about the defense. He plays next to Alex Caruso. Baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it, <laughs> so it doesn't, I don't care. Like, shout out Kobe white man good for him for taking advantage of this opportunity and just straight hooping like I love to see it okay Kobe white is another prime example of something that you and I have talked a lot about this year it's really fucking hard to be a teenager in the NBA it's so hard to be a teenager in this league uh Kobe white entered the league at 19 years old he was one of the youngest players in that draft class uh in 2019 and he struggled. You know, he averaged over the course of his first two seasons, 14 points, but he shot 40, 36, 85 and turned the ball over. It felt like a reasonable amount and was really like one of the worst defensive guards in the league. And like the defense has gotten better, but it's not anywhere near the point where, you know, it could be maybe down the road. Uh, he has been one of the more fun breakouts this year and he's still only 23 years old. Like that's the thing. Again, he is, I think a year older than somebody like Jaime Hawkins, who's coming in and playing incredibly well. And I don't mean to keep bringing up Jaime because he, you know, in some way is deficient. I, I just do it because part here's part of the reason I'm doing it. This is a side tangent now. Uh, Part of the reason I'm doing it is because I keep here seeing all these fucking redrafts on the internet and seeing all these people being like, oh yeah, we're going to, uh, you know, Jaime Jaquez would be the third overall pick. Brandon Pajemski would go third overall, fourth overall, fifth overall in a redraft of 2023 already. And I'm just like, guys, these guys are like older and like came in ready to play. Pajemski's a little bit younger than Jaime to be clear, but like, like Jaime, Jaime kind of needed to come in and be ready to go. Like he turns 23 coming up here, like in the next month or so. 
And I don't say that again as like a slight at Jaime. He's been unbelievable. You will not find a bigger fan of Jaime Jaquez than me. I've been talking about him on this podcast for three fucking years at this point. I love him. But we need to like slow down on this. It takes these young guards particularly a lot of time. It takes like younger wings that come in at 19 years old that are incredibly skinny a lot of time to figure things out. Because the NBA is an incredibly physical league. You draft guys based off of tools on what they're going to be, not what they are from the moment that they enter the NBA. And it's a credit to Jaime Hawkes and Brandon Pajemski that they've been able to enter the NBA and been this good from day one. Also, if you would have done a redraft of, what, 2016, I think it is, when Malcolm Brogdon was in the draft and went 35th, 36th, whatever overall, he would have gone top three probably in a redraft three months at the end of the season. If you look at him now, Malcolm Brogdon probably goes what, like eighth or ninth, like something like that in 2016. Like he'd be right in that range. Uh, you know, he'd be behind certainly all, you know, the top two guys, uh, honestly, like, I think there's a real case that like you would just take the all NBA peak of Ben Simmons early in his career over what Malcolm Brogdon has brought consistently over the course of his career and just manage like the back end and be disappointed. But that's neither here nor there. Like you, you would take eight or so of those guys over Malcolm Brogdon still today. Well, so e- Ingram Brown, Murray, Sabonis, right there. I mean, so you're already Siakam as well. Dejounte Murray's in that draft, if I remember correctly, as well. Yep, both of those um, guys. You know, and that's not a great draft either. By the way, that's like a pretty substandard draft, if I remember correctly. There are some names in the second round, Sam Vecini. Oh, I mean, there there are names in the first round of that thing. That's like Wade Baldwin. That's um, Scal Labissier. Yep. Yeah, uh, Malachi yeah. Richardson. DeAndre yep. Bimbery. The the Malachi effect. Matt Penny and I literally uh, created a idea of guys that enter. Uh, the NBA draft just based off of a great NCAA tournament and like hadn't uh, done anything in the early season before that Malachi Richardson, like was nowhere near a lottery or was nowhere near a first round pick coming into the NCAA tournament that has four great games for Syracuse and leads them to the final four and goes, um, I just say all this to say like slow down because guys like Kobe white, they're going to get better. Like <laughs> you draft these guys based off of tools. Kobe white is incredibly fast. He can really shoot it. You know, these are, these guys take time. They guards take a lot of time. Darius Garland was one of the worst players in the league. His first year in the league. De'Aaron Fox was not an effective player. His first year in the league. You look up now. These guys are awesome. These guys are really, really good players. If you look like over the course of, I think it's like the last decade, there's really only been one, one and done guy that has come in and been like a good player from the jump in the league as a guard in the NBA. And it's Trey young like that. He's really the only one. Uh, John Morant was two years in college. Luka Doncic, if you want to call him a guard, but like, I think that Luka is like six, eight, it's like a totally different ball game for him. These guys that are like six foot five and under, there is not a track record of many of them being good. So just, slow down on some of these guys and also in the case of kobe white the bulls have to be ecstatic they gave him time because here we are year five kobe white averaging 23 po- 22 points on 47 44 84 
without Zach Levine now. And they have like a guy in their backcourt that they should feel quite confident about moving forward. And he's on a ridiculously good contract for the next couple of years as well. And yeah, I mean, I'm glad we've got to see this because I think whenever we were talking about the Bulls blowing it up, quote unquote, I'm like, yeah, you probably just go ahead and move on from Kobe. You know, you talk about guys you would keep and guys you wouldn't. I mean, him and Patrick Williams have gone from, uh, you know, whatever kind of happens, happens to, I don't think I want to move either one of those guys like Patrick Williams, not to shift the focus from Kobe white, but over that same stretch of the last 14 games. And it goes a little beyond that, but I still use the Levine not playing as the benchmark 14 points, four rebounds, almost two assists on 50, 47, 71. Like he has found his footing this season and looks like a a quality player. I'm not saying maybe he's going to be what everybody thought he was going to be, but he's been good. And so I think this has really changed where the Bulls go with some of these guys where maybe you just go ahead and hold on to them and these start your young core along with what you get whenever you trade away Levine, DeRose. I think you have to still move DeRozan just because he's an expiring Caruso, those things. But it's exciting to have Kobe White and Patrick Williams on the roster moving forward now. So... Two things on Kobe before we move on. Uh, the first thing is that I think he's gotten just stronger. Like that's the biggest thing for him. Like, and it's not just absorbing contact at the rim. I think he does a better job of that now. He's able to like actually take that, take those bumps around the basket and manage them. It's even just like on the drives, right? Like he's capable of absorbing bumps on his drives now and still being able to keep his dribble alive. I felt like early in his career, he kind of had to pick up his dribble a little bit farther from the rim, which made it just way harder for him as a player overall to be efficient and be consistent. Uh, The shooting has always been there. Like I said, like he shot 36% from three in those first two years of his career. Like he's always been able to shoot, being able to add that next level has been really key. I mean, other guys like this, like Anthony Simons, it took him a couple of years. Uh, it, it, It just takes a minute here. I think, Guys get to go from 19 to 23 years old and they get stronger and they're more physically capable of putting up with those kind of bumps and being able to, as Cole Krug puts in the comments, actually change pace. That's the big thing. Like he can take bumps and change pace and like be able to hold guys on his hip a little bit now. Like he's not one of the elite guards in the league at it, but he's like capable now in a way that he wasn't previously. The second thing is that he's still like hyper aggressive out there. (laughs) Like he maintains that I'm going to go get it. Like I'm going to go try and be the guy I'm going to go and try and get a bucket. Uh, He's fast and he plays fast, but he's not impatient either. Like that's the thing. Like you can play fast as long as you're not impatient early in his career because he was young in the game and still young as a player. I felt like he was impatient trying to finish at the rim and trying to get to, you know, spots. I think now he's better at finding the right spots to be aggressive and play fast and being able to make those plays. Kobe white has been awesome this season. You, you kind of touched on it there a little bit, but I want to, the confidence is such a huge thing as well. And especially when you struggle, but you can just see it with Kobe. Like he just thinks he's a dude and I love that, you know, again, I, I referenced the NBA draft podcast I did, you know, a couple of days ago with somebody. And at some point I must have called one of the players arrogant or had they, they had an arrogance about him or somehow we got to that. 
And I mean it as a compliment. I, I would much yeah. rather a player going into the professional basketball association, the NBA, be confident, borderline cocky, arrogant, whatever you want to say. I'd rather have that than somebody who has self-doubt or isn't sure. I'm not saying you can't build on those things, but man, you got to have confidence to play in that league. You know, as you increase levels, that stuff gets tougher and tougher because it's easy to question, do I belong here? Am I as good as these people? Those type of things. And it's just great to see a young man like Kobe White go through some rough times, but build himself. And then like you say, you just see the confidence he has that I can fill this role. I am that dude. I'm good enough to do this. I also want to give him just a little break on his defense. I think he was playing hard on that end of the floor early in the year. There's probably a little bit of when you take this offensive usage that he has now, that's going to take a lot of energy to what you have to expend on the other end as well. So I just, I want to give him a little bit of a break in terms of that. The other point about the bulls I want to call out, uh, Patrick Williams, as you mentioned, has been much better offensively over his last 16, 14.4 points, 53, 49, 72 shooting. Uh, still doesn't hit the glass as much as you want to, but he's a really good defensive player. Yeah. Like he is really good. He is constantly all over the place in help. He's, capable because of how strong he is of taking on tougher matchups since Zach Levine has been out they've been a top nine defense in the NBA and that's largely due to Alex Crusoe let's be clear about that but I yep. think that Pat Williams plays the second role in that being that cleanup guy as well I think Pat Williams has been really really good uh the Bulls are fun like I, I've really enjoyed them like if I was them I'd be trying to move Levine before he gets back yep agreed uh, and th th like, I, I don't think this changes anything for the bulls. Like, I think it just makes them more exciting and more happy and they should just be pumped about what they have now. But like, I don't, I don't think it changes anything. Like if I was them, I might not move Caruso now because he is like a great fit next to Kobe white. Like that, that is like a real factor for me, but like Levine DeRozan, like I feel I feel comfortable moving those guys. And DeRozan's like a great leader. Like he's super happy to like be there. Like he's just an awesome dude. So may maybe you try and retain DeRozan for another year. But I, I think DeMar is probably going to want like a last longer term extension. And I don't know that I would feel great about giving him like three or four years if I was this team. Yeah, it seems like it was almost be the quote unquote right thing to do right to to move demar onto a team where he can really compete and, and that's up to demar like I, I don't i'm not here to speak for demar DeRozan, obviously but it, it would seem that he would want to do that and if i'm the bulls i would oblige and, and, and allow him to do that um if that's what he wanted the la clippers are up now the la clippers since november 17th they are 15 and 5 overall they have a top seven net rating in the nba plus 5.5 a one 119.7 Offensive rating, a 114.2. Defensive rating, that's uh, since the sixth game of James Harden's tenure. If you remove those first five games of the Harden run, uh, Harden's averaging 18.4 points on just 11.4 field goal attempts uh, per game, which is just a real low for him. Like He's very clearly taken a step back, which has been huge. And I think that the thing that stands out most to me is you watch the Sixers now versus last year. It was so stagnant last year. Harden was on the ball. He was dominating the ball. He was dribbling the air out of the ball. You know, last year he averaged 8.6 points or 8.6 minutes per game of possession of the ball. Uh, his time of possession holding the ball is 8.6 minutes. 
the year before it was 9.2 minutes. The year before is 8.6 minutes has always been in like the top three, basically top four of that metric right now. He is averaging 6.3 minutes per game on the ball. Like he has clearly taken more of a step back and has been the point guard of this team. So you're always going to have the ball in your hands a little bit, but he is not dominating the ball. Another place where you see that is actually an average dribbles per touch. He's only 18th in the league and average dribbles per touch. He was consistently somewhere in the like three to nine or 10 range over the course of his run over the last four or five years, even you know, after the prime, you know, Rockets years and everything. So I think what we're seeing is clearly James Harden is deferring in a substantial way and it's been great for them. Like their offensive movement has been a little bit better. They have been uh, like total like ass kickers over the course of this little run. I looked at my notes from like the first games I watched whenever they made the trade. And I think I even gave it a few games to start to figure itself out. And I make general notes about the team and then specific notes about the players. And in the general notes about the team from the first two games, it was, man, they have all this talent, but it's these guys doing the same thing they've always had to do. Just be great individual players, make these tough contested shots. And then the next one was kind of the same thing. And then I noticed that the trend was, oh, they had a couple possessions in this game where the talent worked together to get an easier shot for Kawhi Leonard, Leonard, excuse me, or get an easier shot for James Harden. Or Terrence Mann is just cutting along the baseline and being the, you know, the beneficiary of all this talent on the floor. Or Zubak, who is just a play finisher and doing a great job of it. And then now, oh, well, now this possession had Harden and PG and Kawhi working together to get a wide open three for Kawhi. And it's like, That's beautiful basketball, man. Like they're figuring out, like, I don't have to do this by myself. I don't have to take a tough contested mid range over, you know, my defender every time I can get an easy bucket by just continuing to bend and attack the defense and work together. Kawhi gets a lot of love. Harden gets a lot of love. I want to give Russell Westbrook some love. I think he's really just like done a good job off the bench, bringing energy, those type of things. I also think PG is really good as well. He's so awesome. Good. And so I, I understand. I thought it was funny in that ranking we did and the one people sent to me, PG was like fourth in almost all of them. And some of them, I think he even dropped a fifth. And I understand those are all really good players. I just think he's so good. I think he passes the ball really well. He's so smooth. He's, maybe it's one of those aesthetically pleasing things to watch things for me. But I just wanted to give him some flowers as well because I, I think – Yes, Harden deserves the credit for deferring and all of those things. PG is really good. Yeah, over his last 16 games, Russell Westbrook averaging uh, 11.7 rebounds, 4.2 assists versus only 1.9 turnovers. Awesome. 51% from the field uh, has been you know, just a really, really good bench guard uh, over that time. Glad you brought up Paul George. He's just been everything that he always is for the Clippers. I, I love watching Paul George play, but... I mean, Kawhi, my fucking God, (laughs) like over his last 12 games, he missed the three last three with that little hip issue. He has Uh, over his last 12. He's averaging 29.3 points, six and a half rebounds, 3.6 assists on 59% from the field, 52% from three and 92% from the line. This dude breaks basketball. Every time I watch him, I feel like he breaks basketball. Uh, he last season over the course of the last 50 games of the year, I thought he was one of the five best players in the league. 
uh, he's back to that level. There, there are not five guys I would take in the league over him if I had to win a playoff game tomorrow, just straight up. Like if I had to win a playoff game tomorrow and he was healthy, like that, that guy is just the absolute stone cold killer of stone cold killers. He's awesome. And I, I put, I love, he's so strong. So, you know, he has to have like real like nuance and finesse to this. I think people see like, you know, guys create separation, get into a body. And so he does the little chicken wing, like you gets his shoulder into yeah. you and get you. But you have to know exactly how much force you can push while getting the defender off of you, but not getting an offensive foul, creating the separation. And then he just had like a stupid, he was in the mid post spin, goes into a right, left Euro or left, right. And then dunks with his left. Like it just, it, he, it's just like, he's playing with people too. Like he's just toying with them. He's so good as they bring up in the chat. Yes. Like it comes down to injuries and are these guys healthy? I don't know what else it would like if they're healthy, this team and, and they continue to play this way. Egos don't get in the way yeah. of those type of things. It, it's a scary team. I think they can really be dangerous. It, it's really all about health to me. This is a genuine title contender. If they're healthy, yes, like straight up, uh, whether or not they get to the playoffs healthy and whether or not they can last through a full playoff run healthy, who the fuck knows. Right. But th- this team if they are healthy, can win a title. Here's the key number. This has always been the key number, and this will always be the key number. When Kawhi and Paul George are on the court together, they completely and utterly dominate. They have a 123.2 offensive rating and a 107.9 defensive rating when Kawhi and Paul George are on the court together this season. That is plus 15.3 points per 100 possessions when those two guys are on the court. In total, since they've been in L.A. over 3,500 minutes in the regular season, they have a plus 13.2 net rating. If you compare that to the other, like some of the other great duos, and this isn't meant to be like comprehensive or anything, but like the only duo that tops that really is Jokic and Jamal Murray. Jokic and Jamal Murray are at plus 19.4 this year. Wow. If Yeah, I mean, that's just like fucking insane, (laughs) right? Like completely ridiculous. But... Over the course of the last four years, again, Kawhi and Paul George, 13.2. Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, plus 12.8. Like, that's the level that Kawhi and Paul George, when they are on the court together, that's the level the Clippers are at. Uh, LeBron and Anthony Davis, plus 4.8 the last four years. Jason and Jalen Brown, uh, plus 7.7 the last four years, plus 8.6 this year. Giannis and Chris Middleton plus 8.7 the last four years. Like the Kawhi Paul George pairing when it's healthy is dominant. They just have to get there and your bet is as good as mine. If they get there, like I I truly have, I, I can't begin to guess whether or not they will. I just hope for the sake of us who consume NBA that they do just because I think that Western Conference playoffs, it's going to be a bloodbath anyway, but it just adds another true title contender to it. If the Timberwolves stay healthy and, you know, and maybe able to translate some of this into the playoffs, obviously the Nuggets, the Thunder, this youthful, like what can they do when they get to the playoffs, a healthy Clippers the Mavs, like haven't even talked about the Lakers or the, you know, the team we're about to, you know, talk about next. it would be so much fun. Like just for the sake, I would like to see it for Kawhi and PG as well, but just for the sake of fans also, 
it would just be incredible to see. Those first-round matchups would be unbelievable, would just be insane. All right, uh, final topic of the day, the Sacramento Kings. I want to do like a Kings check-in because it feels like the Kings fan base is like losing their minds a little bit, <laughs> like jumping off the wagon because they lost to Portland, frankly. Like it feels like that's the main reason. Uh, this team's still 17 and 12. Uh, they lost the last two to Memphis and Portland by double digits, but things are still good. Prior to that, they'd won nine of 13, including wins over Minnesota, Golden State, Denver, Oklahoma City, and two against Phoenix. To this point, the Kings have played the sixth toughest schedule in the league. They were missing De'Aaron Fox for, I think, seven of those games, and they're still 17 and 12. With a slow start I, from if, Keegan Murray, a slow start from Keegan Murray as well. Like if I was a Kings fan, like I'd be like, wow, like this is fine. <laughs> you know, like this is great. Like we're, we're all clear right now. Uh, the schedule is going to ease up at some point. Like they're going to have a tough schedule because they play in the West and they play, you know, the Lakers, the Clippers, uh, the Warriors and the Suns four times each, which is going to make it harder. Schedule is always going to be tough, but. I think that they have been really quite good over this stretch of like 15 or so games, even if the record is like nine and six over that stretch. And the big reason is obviously De'Aaron Fox. I mean, what have you thought of Fox when you've watched him? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's absolutely incredible. Another guy who I just, I don't give him enough credit. I think at times whenever I talk, think about who the best players in the NBA are. And, you know, right now he's averaging over 30 a game on 49, 40, 74, almost five rebounds, six assists, turnovers under three. His improvement as a three point shooter is crazy because if you look at per 100, he's gone up four attempts per 100 percent. Uh, possessions and it's a seven percent improvement and you add a three-point shot like that with how fast and shifty he is it's it's unbelievable and he has this ability to score over bigger defenders he finds the right angles off the backboard it's just impossible to stay in front of a dude that is that fast that shifty and can shoot from three the way he has so far this season kudos to him to working on that it doesn't just happen because and he's awesome. He is so good. He's been incredible since he returned to the lineup or joined the lineup. Yeah. And like the synergy with Sabonis is still yeah. unbelievable. Like they're, they're so, so fun to watch. I find the numbers with Sabonis and Fox really interesting and always have. Uh, this season, when Fox is on the court, the Kings win by three points per hundred possessions. When he's off the court, they lose by 5.4 per hundred possessions. When Sabonis is on the court without Fox, they lose by 6.3 points per 100. When Fox is on the court without Sabonis, they are a plus 2.8 together. They're a plus three. Uh, you throw in last year to Sabonis without Fox plus 1.9 points per hundred possessions. Fox without Sabonis plus 3.5 points per hundred possessions to me, especially this year, De'Aaron is the one that's driving it yes. right now. Like every time I watch them, I'm like, this is De'Aaron's show. Uh, no disrespect to Sabonis, who I think has been a top five, top six center in the league to be sure. Like I would have him below uh, Embiid, Jokic, Gobert, like a couple others. He, he's in that like top five mix for sure. Sabonis is a great player. It's Fox, though, that has taken this and is like completely 
run with it in my opinion oh yeah like i I think when i think of the sacramento kings and the guy and all of that like i definitely think De'Aaron fox right now maybe that's the way everybody has porzingis as well in the center conversation i was was looking through yeah he was really good last night um another person i want to bring up is malik monk and and i don't know if we're done talking about the aaron fox yet but i think every time i watch i really enjoy watching malik monk he's averaging 14 points shooting the ball you know not great overall 42 percent, but 40 percent from three and what i've come away impressed with is his passing like he has some real wiggle and shit to his game he passes the ball well i think the six man of the year race is going to be real interesting across the nba in general i'm i'm just kind of interested to see how that shakes out. There's been some guys that are really putting up good numbers off the bench, and he's one of them. So I think he's been a big part of this as well, along with Fox, a bonus. And then, like I said, you know, Keegan Murray to start the year struggling for, you know, his expectations, but over the last 12 games has just been incredible shooting the ball. And I think we talked about this. We, we felt like he was going to, you know, come back to what he, you know, showed us as a rookie. I think that, that is absolutely right. Keegan, uh, the, the bounce back. Look, w- when we did the rookie conversation, what, a month ago or so, the thing that we talked about was that Keegan looks way better on defense and the shooting is going to come around. Like, there's no reason for panic on Keegan Murray at all. The bounce is here. Uh, <laughs> prior to what was a total stinker across the board from everybody other than Demonis Sabonis against the Portland Trailblazers, Keegan Murray had been averaging 20.9 points on 55, 49, 85 shooting over his past 10. Uh, he's been the exact archetype and the exact player that you want in between De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis. Like he has been borderline like star quality over the course of that run. And he had that 47 point game against Utah where he drilled 12 threes and was like unconscious entirely. He has been awesome. The big thing I want to talk about, though, is the improvement on defense. Uh, he looks so much better on defense. He has gotten so much better at fighting around screens, getting over the top of them. Uh, he has gotten way better and quicker, I think, particularly with his first stride on defense. Like, I think that last year at times, if you had a first step, you had a real quick first step, you could kind of get by him initially and then he'd be in recovery and have to use his length and like kind of his body to try and get back into the play. His first stride now, I think, is so quick on his slide that he really stays in front of guys now in a really tangible way. Uh, he's able to like crowd them and like get into their space now. And because he's so physically strong, uh, that ability to crowd in that first step quickness improvement really makes it hard to get by him and really makes him disruptive. Uh, on the perimeter as a defender on the ball. I I think he has been, uh, honestly, I think Keegan Murray has been one of the most improved defensive players in the NBA that I have seen this season, just point blank, full stop. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing as you guys are watching the games, like really one thing I always watch, I guess is the way I should say it is, is it a guy that slides and tries to cut off the offensive player right away? Or is it a guy that immediately opens his hips? Cause you know, a guy that immediately opens up completely like a 90 degree turn on almost like a pivot. You're just giving up straight line drives all the time. I always look for guys who really take that long first side stride step to the side to really cut off. The more you can make a, a player change direction, the more success you're going to have in general. Not that obviously NBA players are capable of this, but yeah, the, the thing with Keegan is 
you know, he had the back stuff. He's taking a bigger defensive load that probably contributed to the slow start. The fact he's been able to recover the the shooting as quickly as he has is pretty darn impressive. And if he's going to be able to do this offensively while taking some of the matchups he's being asked to take, like that's an incredible two-way value for the Kings. And as you said, is the perfect guy to put in between Sabonis and Fox. And so that, I mean, I, I will say he's, he's surpassed what I thought he was going to be as an NBA player with the movement shooting and some of that stuff. And then you add like real on ball defensive value and like that, that's an insane two way player. Like that's, that's the only way I can say it. Yeah. And look, as we're talking here, like, let's just be transparent. Like the Kings are down 10 in Atlanta right now and you know, Atlanta is 12 and 18. And again, like Kings fans are going to continue to melt down about this. I think where I'm at on Sacramento is just where we open this conversation. Just like slow down. Like I think it's going to be fine. I really think it's going to be okay for the Sacramento Kings. Like they're sitting here, even if they lose this game, they'll be at 17 and 13 road games, East coast. Like that's not the easiest little run. Like I think that this is fine. I really do. Uh, I would just, you know, calm down. A little bit. Just don't, 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 don't overreact to like a little three game blip here. I, I think that they're still like a fine team. Do you think there's a move at some point with them? And I, I mean, I mean, you have Sabonis, you have Fox, you have Murray. Look, do they, you they have to improve the defense somehow at some point. I don't know if it's at the deadline or if it's moving forward in the off season. Something like Siakam. It seems like Ananobi is not an option really. Um, like if you could go get a guy though, that can really improve your defense, a- absolutely do it. Like no, no questions asked in my opinion. Yeah. I just wonder, you know, I, I've seen some stuff around Herter with like people not being, you know, super crazy about, you know, how he's playing right now. Obviously Harrison Barnes is, you know, a yeah, little bit older to me, at 31. To me, it's more, it's more Barnes than yeah. Herter. Like I, look, Her- Herter is not playing like incredibly well, right? Like he's well, he's at 35. Yeah, that's what it is. Percent from three. Like it's not a great number for him, but I, I don't know. Like I, I am, I am not as worried about them as I think like a lot of people are. And, you know, Aiden W brings up, they're the only team in the top eight of either conference with a negative plus minus on the season. Yeah. I mean, they were missing like a guy who's been a top 12 player in the league for, the first, you know, seven or eight games of the year or whatever. And, you know, you look at the loss totals there, like they lost by 18 to Houston, lost by 25 to Houston. Like they, they had like a couple of those really, really negative losses there that I think like probably threw it out of whack a little bit. Well, yeah. I mean, I think you, what you talk about in terms of missing him, Murray off to the slow start. I think that all provides context into why you wouldn't be crazy nervous about a team that is 17 and 12 as we record, potentially 17 and 13 whenever we get done. But like there's the context there of if you had had those guys, you know, Fox from the start of the year and Keegan was hooping from the start of the year and they still weren't figuring it out, then I think maybe it's like, okay, maybe there's a little more cause for concern here. But let's see it play out for another month before it's like, oh, panic button. We have to go do something drastic. Yeah. And like I say, this is somebody that like had real concerns about the Kings coming into the year. Like I, I think that they've looked good. Like they, they've looked 
every bit as good as what you would hope for. Uh, again, the big thing for me is like what happens if one of these guys goes down? Yeah. We saw it with Fox early in the year, like it was a problem. The Kings also with their plus minus, like because of the way that they play, because of how like up tempo they're going to get. I think that their games do tend to go like, you know, get a little blowouty one way or another a lot of the time. So, and look like you'd love to see those blowouts be more on the positive side of the ledger. And that's how, you know, teams like Boston, for instance, who I think also beat the Kings, if I remember correctly, by like 30 at one point this year, uh, end up with like such a positive, you know, uh, net rating and everything. And I, I think that'll happen. But like, I think that the Kings are fine. Like that, that's it, like the, the Keegan Murray leap is very real. The De'Aaron Fox leap is very real. At some point, they're going to figure out what to do with Barnes, what to do with Herter. But like the the, the core pieces here, like I, I would still feel okay about it if I was a Sacramento fan. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they, like I say, just try to make a, a move on the margins around those guys if they feel like they can find a better fit. And, you know, they have some intriguing pieces off the bench. And yeah, I, I think I'm with you to just see it. I mean, when Darren Fox is playing this well, it's, you know, you got to feel good. When Fox and Murray are playing this well, and then we barely gave Sabonis love just because those guys have been so good, you got to feel good about that trio and then just build around it with the right guys. Yeah. And like, like to me, like if I was them, I would go for Siakam. I think Siakam's really good and continue to think Siakam's really good. Uh, I know that like it would kind of change their spacing a little bit, but I think a core of, Fox, Murray, Siakam, Sabonis. Like if you're going to get the most out of Sabonis, I think you need somebody that can be like a weak side help defender kind of across the board. I think that that core four actually really works. And then you just be like kind of finding spacing around those guys. And the Kings have done a really good job of finding guys like Sasha Vizankov, Trey Lyles, um, you know, Keon Ellis is a guy that we haven't really brought up. Yeah. But Keon yep. Ellis, I think, has given them pretty strong minutes this year as well. Uh, fi- finding guys that can be shooters at like a pretty real level and, and helping them out. Yeah. I mean, it'd be interesting to, to, to see that happen. Like you say, it would change the spacing a little bit, but it obviously would really help on the defensive end of the floor. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Bryce, we were 12 minutes long here, unfortunately. I mean, we're not I done yet. Well. But that's true. God damn it. Bryce, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. I feel like I disappoint your long listeners because I don't watch enough movies for us to have those conversations. (laughs) The wife and I did start a TV show. um, Ted Lasso. We're through one season of that, but that's the best I can do. So at Motor City Hoops on Twitter, Pistons content, NBA draft content, NBA content. If you are a Pistons fan or because they've lost 28 games in a row, you want to listen to a Pistons podcast for whatever reason, the Pistons Pulse, uh, usually recording live on Tuesdays, dropping on podcasts on Wednesdays. As always, Sam, I had a blast. I had a blast too. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to get you to watch Reacher, unfortunately. It's a little, it's very dad, which could help you, but it's also quite violent. Uh, which I feel like you don't really fuck with. Yeah. What's the plot? Like, give me the the quick plot. Uh, like basically drifter who is an army policeman comes into towns and tries to solve like mysteries. Oh, this. Okay. So I've seen the movie. This is a TV show. Also, this is a TV show now. Yeah. Oh, you, maybe yeah. I like the movie. Yeah. Jack Reacher, the first movie filmed in Pittsburgh, by the way. 
great fucking Pittsburgh movie, Jack Reacher. Uh, this one, that one had Tom Cruise. This one has Alan Richson, who's like a fucking mountain of a man, like Jack Reacher is in the books. Um, yeah, th- this podcast could become Jackpod Reacher cast uh, <laughs> if I let it at some point. Because goodness, that show is. Uh, I'm like halfway through the second season now, or whatever, because uh, it's coming out as we're talking okay. still. Um, it's a perfect show. Just, Have you seen Ted Lasso? Show. Have you seen Ted? Oh Lasso? yeah, it's great. Ted Lasso is amazing. I laugh my ass off like a little kid every single episode like i, I and yeah. then all like the references to miracle and all of like it just it touches my heart in every way that uh, that like because i'm this sporty whatever person but then the comedy that goes with it and i could i'm sorry i could care less about soccer but that almost makes it better because it's just all of the the funny stuff that goes along with that i I've thoroughly enjoyed it through season one. So yeah, no, it, it's a really, really great show. Like a truly great show over the last decade. Um, go to the athletic. We went 90 minutes without talking about the Pistons, Bryce. Uh, but I actually wrote about the Pistons today oh. over at the athletic with James Edwards. Go read that. We had fun talking about the calamity. That is the 28 uh, straight losses. I just uh, want you to know Pistons. people are worried about you, Sam. I legit have people text me and say, what is oh, Sam's yeah. obsession with watching the Pistons? And I just want all of your listeners to know your obsession with the Pistons has nothing to do with me. I never ask for the Pistons to be on the outline. I want to make no. that very clear. No, you don't. Like it's uh like seriously, like Jason Timp has like texted me like multiple times just to check on me. Like, <laughs> hey, like how's how's it going? Like, I see you're watching Pistons basketball again. <laughs> like uh no, it's not ideal um I, I can't avoid the incoming car wreck is, is the way i would best explain it with my pistons obsession uh i find them fascinating and it found them fascinating like when they were at like five losses in a row let alone when they were at 28 now so uh yeah it's not not great for the pistons i think they have a real shot to beat the raptors i don't know if it'll happen for sure but like i think that th- that's the one where like i've kind of been looking for a little while i thought brooklyn was a real shot as well but that didn't happen people um, were texting me last night during the game because i didn't watch it live and they were like oh it's gonna happen i'm like no it's not they're up by 20 at yeah. halftime i was like i don't care it's gonna be a epic collapse didn't you know even went more so into overtime the nice thing is kate is hooping Jaden's hooping and at least there's some positivity around that Jalen duran is back so there, there's at least yeah. some good vibes with that stuff also by the way shout out will wade uh, Will Wade in McNeese State just won at Michigan. Oh, uh, Will Wade can coach, man. <laughs> like Will Wade's such a fucking good basketball coach. Good for uh, I that that man. We we got to get that man. You know where Will Wade should go coach next year? I've told I've told a couple people this uh, offline. Will Wade is like the perfect West Virginia basketball coach. Okay. Is he not like a little bit of renegade like yeah. there, like that fan base, like they're all about us against the world. He'll, he'll, he'll rally it up. Yep. Like man, we'll wait to West Virginia would be an absolute blast. Like it, it would be, that's how you keep that program going. Somebody like will Wade, I think. Yeah. He, he probably won't be at McNeese long if he's, if, with, with what he's what oh, he's gonna get done. Will Wade should not be at McNeese past this year. Will Wade is way too good of a basketball coach to be. You know, all due respect to McNeese State, but like Will Wade is, you know, 
one of the top like 30 coaches in college basketball. And that's like probably conservative if I'm being completely honest, like, well, Wade is awesome basketball coach. He should be somewhere. And like a, a lot of the stuff that's happened since will Wade had his whole, uh, NCA thing, like the, the rules have changed to yeah. go more toward will Wade. So yeah. Let's get Will Wade back up to the high major level, and I'm all for a West Virginia Will Wade uh, decision because that would be a blast. Like (laughs) that, that would be like the perfect fit of like personality and like fan base and everything. And and, like they, they care. Like, dude, those people in West Virginia, like they care about basketball, man. Like, again, growing up in Pittsburgh, like people in West Virginia, like they love hoops, and it'd be a great, great spot. I think for Will. Love it. All right. This is the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe, do everything you can to support the show. We will be back next week at some point. I won't make Bryce record on New Year's Day, but probably like the next day or something like that. We'll be back. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye. (laughs) 